freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Oh yes, here we go. Brock and Saul on Seattle Sports on 710 seattlesports.com. Seattle Sports app as well. The podcast platforms. It is day one today of training camp for everybody who has waited a long, long time for the return of football season. It kind of returns today. It's the first of like three days that you get to say football season is back. You can do it today. You get to do it on the first preseason game, and then you get to do it again on the day that they actually play a real regular season game. So you kind of have three opportunities in sports to mention that they're back, right? In baseball, you can do it in pitchers and catchers report and then when the rest of the squad reports and then when the first Cactus League game is and then on opening day, like you get all these cool opportunities to be excited for the season. And today is one of those days, right? Seahawks players will be there. Um, You know, we haven't heard much about any sort of issues in terms of contract stuff. We haven't heard yet that Witherspoon is signed, so I guess we'll sort of be monitoring that throughout the day and find out whether or not he shows up when when the day starts. But, man, it's an exciting year because you kind of go into this without some of the complete unknown that you had last year. Last year was about who who are these guys and what is this team going to look like? This year becomes more of how does that same group grow? How do you add to it? And how do you get yourself in position to really do battle with the better teams in the league? You know, San Francisco, Philadelphia, maybe Detroit's going to be in that category. We'll see who else. And so, uh, yeah, that starts today. Should be fun. And just seeing Geno Smith in his element, controlling everything, you know, feeling comfortable in the post-Russell Wilson world. Uh, Things are just very different today than they were a year ago. Wrote about that at seattlesports.com. And if you got some time to uh, go read my six Seahawks storylines, you can. And we'll dig into it a little bit later here this morning. But got to start with the Mariners as, as much as it's, you know, fun to start with the Seahawks. And we'll talk a lot about that today, especially in the uh, 7 and 8 o'clock hour hour but oh and i should say dk metcalf is going to be on the show oh, today. yeah i'll bury that excuse me that. i should mention that the 101st best player in the nfl is going to join us at 8 30 this morning 8 30 this morning for dk metcalf I, I don't know whether we've ever talked to dk i don't think i have i could be wrong maybe we did right at the beginning right when he was drafted or something like that but I don't have any memory of talking to DK Metcalf, so that should, but that doesn't mean anything. My memory stinks, so we probably have, and I've just completely <laughs> forgotten about. Not it since properly. I've been here. Not since you've been here. No, nope. I know that, but maybe before that is, I guess, what I what I don't remember. But um, Mariners yesterday, I, you know, the the funny thing about this team as they win and come back, unbelievable. They never come back in the eighth inning when they're down four more runs. They do it yesterday. Julio does it. Suarez does it, right? The thing that jumps out to me about this team is that whatever you think of them, you can tend to find evidence to support it, right? I was kind of talking about that yesterday with Brock. For those people that have been angry at the team and don't like what they did the offseason, you can point to those offseason moves or lack thereof and say, that's why you're in the position you're in. When Colton Wong struggles, when, 
you know, the DH spot doesn't produce, when Tommy LaStella exists, right? Like, you can point at those decisions and say, that's where why you are where you are. Okay. Like, you're not wrong. It's not the theory that I have. Yeah. But I, I don't know that I can completely disprove it. Sure, but there's a lot of evidence for people to support the point that they want to decide to support. My theory has been completely different. You built a decent team this offseason. Yeah, you probably needed one more bat, but it's not three. And unfortunately, the guys at the core, the nucleus of your lineup, simply have completely underperformed. Specifically, Julio Rodriguez, Ty France, Eugenio Suarez, and Teoscar Hernandez. You've yet to really see all of them perform at once. Yesterday, all four of them had hits. Yesterday, seven of the nine runs were driven in by the combo of Julio Suarez and Teo. Yeah, it helps to get Cade Marlowe on base a few times and hit a home run. Yes, it helps J.P. Crawford to do his thing late, and it helps for Colton Wong to lay down a butt. Like, all of those things help. They all matter. To me, they're ancillary. The nucleus, the core of the offense of this team, not talking about the pitching, is the guys that finally hit together yesterday. And when those guys hit, you score nine runs. Mm Mm-hmm. You're perfectly capable of, well, not that you're going to score nine runs every day, but you're perfectly capable when the, when your stars do what they're supposed to do and have been paid to do, you you win. We've, you're a good team. We've seen this before, though, but we've seen, we've seen where those guys all had hits and they didn't. This is when they actually had meaningful hits. Like, it mattered right. when they in, were in those in leverage situations. Moments, and it yes, good point. And it's like, oh, that was really refreshing to see that. That Eugenio double down the line was the one for me. Like, that was the thing that we have not seen yet, in, or in the least the last two and a half, three months. And, oh, please unlock that. Yeah, if they do, they're a good baseball team. Great baseball, yeah. If they do, and, they're and again, they're not that far out of it, as obnoxious as it sounds every time you say it. And I tried to say it yesterday after a loss so that this isn't just this good game, bad game, good thought, bad thought, good day, bad day, they're good, they're bad kind of up and down roller coaster. Although that's certainly what the season has been for a team that is once again a game over 500. They're only seven and a half games behind the Rangers, who are once again slumping. Right. Hey, look, it's almost August and the Rangers are coming back to earth. They're a good team. They're not a great team. They're a good team. They're not a great team. And the Astros are now all of one game behind them. The Mariners seven and a half. The Astros are about to get your Don back. And I think so let's 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 all kind of calm down on how the great Texas Rangers are going to dominate. They may they may still bounce back and they may have a good deadline and we'll see what happens. But I just, you know, have always kind of felt like they were not as good as maybe things were were appearing. Mariners are, yeah, yeah, kind of mentioned it once or twice. (laughs) More did he? Mariners four and a half back in the wild card. That's not a lot. There's a bunch of teams ahead of them, right? I mean, you got Tampa, Houston, and Toronto right now are your three wild card teams with Boston, New York, L.A. all in front of you. But you know. They're one and a half, two and a half, three and a half, four and a half out. There's a game separating all these teams. That's nothing. That's a good week. That's a good week. Finish things up with uh, with Minnesota today. Go to Arizona. And then you come home with Boston. Beat them a couple times. And maybe you pass them in the standings. You're only three behind them. By then, you may be two behind them. You may be one behind them. Who the heck knows? They've been up and down. Right, and the way that the Mariners have been playing good teams. I thought you would appreciate this, though. This is this is the thing that really jumped out to me this morning more than anything else. And I thought you guys would like this. 
I'll read you the tweet and then you can guess who, excuse me, the X, and then you can, um, <laughs> then you can guess who said it or wrote it or X'd it. Mm, yeah. Very bad day for the trade deadline. Bubble teams, Angels, Otani, Renfro, and more. Cubs, Stroman, Bellinger, Hendricks. Padres, Snell, Hader, Soto. Padres? Mets, Robertson, Verlander, Scherzer. Red Sox, Paxton, and Guardians, Savale, all won and are thus, and are thus slightly less likely to sell. Two things jump out to me. One, I feel like there's a team missing on that list. I don't know. Maybe I have to do some thought behind it and try to figure out who that team is. I don't know. A team that's got a better record than three of those teams on the list. (laughs) What are we doing here? Hmm. Really? Four and a half out in the wild card doesn't qualify you as a bubble team. What am I missing? You're a game ahead of Cleveland. You're one game, one game behind the Angels. And then if you're talking about the Padres, six back, Mets, seven back, Cubs, five back, all of those teams are farther out than the Mariners, John Heyman. I know it's a long way from New York, but maybe you could just <laughs> open up your eyes for like half a second. You didn't let us guess. And, I, that was my guess. Well, you were right. Ma- I was Nightingale. <laughs> well, you were right, Maura, as always. Of course it was John Heyman. <laughs> no, I just... Noted Mariner hater. <sighs> Noted Mariner ignorer. Nor, yeah. Hey, man, there's life outside of the five boroughs. Wake up and smell it because every once in a while it does become part of the story. We'll come right back with things you actually need to know here in this town in Seattle. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, for the second straight night, the Mariners have surprised everyone and refused to go quietly into the night. Down big early, a rare off night for George Kirby. They rallied big time. Pitch to Julio. Swung on, lifted, right field, back is Kepler. He's looking up, and it is gone. Julio has gone deep for the second time of the game, and we are tied. A massive home run for Julio over the big wall in right field. A brand new ball game in Minnesota. Six to six. Yeah, that was huge. Second home run of the night for Julio. An even bigger hit for Suarez a little while later. A one-two. Swing and a ground ball quickly skips past Castro at third base and into left field. Marlowe is in to score. Wong right behind him. He crosses home plate. Two runs in. J.P. Crawford is into third. A. Eugenio Suarez with a two-run go-ahead double in the top of the ninth inning. And the Mariners find themselves in front for the first time tonight. Eight to six in front of the Twins. Yeah, they just kind of kept battling and battling and battling. And the next thing you know, you end up coming back to win a game nine to seven after being down four runs in the eighth inning. Pretty impressive. And I think it speaks to the fight in this team. I'm going to play you some sound from yesterday before that win from Colton Wong, of all people, who was on with Wyman and Bob and said, yeah, they still have confidence. You know, it would be a little quiet. We were bummed. Um, you know, we felt like we've been playing pretty good baseball, you know, this second half, and we've been really doing a good job to put us in the positions to win. And, you know, we just unfortunately have had some opportunities to uh, get away from us. And, you know, that's just the game, man. You're, you're just waiting for the hot streak to kick in. And 
you know, how we're playing right now and how we're attacking the game. And, you know, you're watching the guys go about their business. It's, we're doing things the right way. And now it's just all about, you know, the ch- chips starting to fall in our place. Baseball's fascinating, man. The way the guys feel about themselves, the way a team, you know, responds to losses is not always the same way fans do. Yeah, they were upset about the clutch hitting. Yeah, they were upset about blowing that game in Minnesota the other night. But at the same time, they know that they're playing better. And when the situational hitting comes around, all of a sudden the winds fall. This guy's up and down the lineup. Don't quit. You just got to keep having good at-bats over and over and over again. But, you know, we hit some good balls. We hit some balls well the other way. Situational hitting was better tonight, so... Those are the things that, that help you in these close games. All those things are true. Cade Marlowe had his first home run as a big leaguer. And so, yeah, I hate to play let's overreact to each win and loss guy, but it does keep them within seven and a half of the division. Texas loses again. They're just five back in the wild card, four and a half, excuse me, with less than a week before the deadline. And, yeah, their names keep coming up in trade rumors. Here are some names that we've heard are linked to them. Tim Anderson, Tony Kemp, Paul DeJong, three middle infielders, Carlos Santana. Anna's name has been floated as well. And then on the other side of it, if they're selling or doing both, Paul Seawald, Teo Hernandez, all of those names could potentially be in play. One more in Minnesota. They play an early game, 10-10, first pitch. Bryce Miller will be on the hill. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, the Seahawks got the news cycle started before camp even starts yesterday. They made a slew of moves. We'll get to those in just a couple of minutes. It was a long offseason, but football finally returns today. And the Seahawks practice for the first time at training camp. They won't hit yet, but we should get a little start to see a sense of who's healthy, who they see in the lead for some of those key starting spots. Pete Carroll, of course, pretty pumped about this group. This is going to be a really, really competitive camp, this, this, this camp this year now. There's um, there's enough athleticism in the in the young end of the of the roster um, with a ton of speed, a ton of aggressive mentality, um, physical group that's going to make it really really competitive, and it's going to be a a great way for us to start this season. Yeah. This is going to be really, really fun, I think is what you hear there from Pete Carroll. Pretty pumped for uh, getting this group together. What's a reasonable expectation for this team? It's hard for me to see them as a Super Bowl contender yet, just to be flat honest with you, but I don't think they're that far off of it either, and and so I guess that is what makes this season kind of exciting. I think I want to see growth over last year, and I think that would be huge. Kind of watching to see which of these young players grows into being a game changer because that, I think, will put them on their way to being the kind of contender we need and want them to be. Here's the third thing you need to know. Seahawks got the news cycle started before camp, as I said. Quandre Diggs reports he has restructured his contract, which would free up additional cap space for this team. They still need to sign their top pick, Devin Witherspoon, and they're also going to need a nose tackle, so maybe that cap space would be helpful. No sign of of Witherspoon yet. Kind of interesting because you are starting to see all the first-round picks around the league getting those deals done right before camp starts or as camp starts for all of those teams. I don't believe he can practice unless a deal is done. They also cut yesterday mysterious edge rusher Alton Robinson, who had a productive rookie season, missed all of last year with a knee injury, and has been sort of weirdly absent from all of the offseason season practices. Pete's kind of refused to talk about him when asked. He showed up at the very end, but didn't practice. He was still... Pete just kept saying, "Ah, we're not sure what's going on there. Well, 
apparently uh, whatever it was was serious enough that he is uh, no longer with the team as they move on yesterday. All right, there you go. That is everything you need to know. I'm being told nicely, of course, that it's Paul DeYoung. Excuse me, not DeJong. I don't spend a lot of time watching Cardinal baseball because, well, you know, they're terrible. But uh, he is a name that's been floated. I'm sorry. I've only read it. I haven't uh, I haven't uh, heard it all that often. But Paul DeYoung. It was nice of that person to correct you, though. Well, it was, and they did it in the nicest, nicest possible way, yeah. way uh, which is great. You know, when you're on the air here talking for four hours a day, what you want to be is perfect yeah. uh, in terms of everything you say. Well, it's so. good to meet somebody who's perfect. That's nice. Well, yeah, you know, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> and generally, they do come from the 636. Has always kind of been what I've said, and it's uh, it's nice to see that I was right about that, if it if not the pronunciation of, uh, of Paul, Paul's mm. last name mm. there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, training camp starts today. DK Metcalf going to be on the show. I wish we were out there and that like the Seahawks had their old schedule. It just doesn't pay for us to be out there early in the morning when they're not going to practice until what is it? One 30 this right. afternoon. Like I just, we're not going to spend four hours out there six or eight hours before they start practicing. But uh, I'm bummed because I do kind of love that vibe and love that excitement. And I know the other shows are going to be down there today, uh, early Mariner game. But Bump and Stacy will be down there, assuming that, you know, with this new uh, clock and all that, the game ends fairly early and they have an opportunity to catch some of practice and maybe get on a little bit before uh, Wyman and Bob at two o'clock. And they will definitely be down there and broadcasting after the game. So we'll have all of the uh, Seahawks training camp coverage you could possibly want. And you can find all of that at seattlesports.com or a really good time to download the seattle sports app do you mean you have not done that yet well, i was spending this whole last week going to people's houses and making sure that they get the podcast right what do you think i was also doing sock i was well, making sure people i would app. hope that you uh if, that you helped you know a few people know that they've got to go download the app i mean this isn't brain surgery here it's right there in the app store if you don't know how to use that I don't know what to tell you. The next thing you know, you're not going to know how to pronounce some random shortstop from the Cardinals. That's just terrible. All right. uh, Coming up next, a guy who can pronounce every name correctly, and he's got a hot take on the Mariners at the deadline. Stick around to hear from Jason Churchill. It's coming up next. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Still kind of bugs me out that the trade deadline isn't July 31st anymore. I mean, it was July 31st forever and ever. This year, it's going to be August 1st. But the Mariners still have some decisions to make between now and then. And uh, Jeff Passan's not available still to help us out with that as he is recovering from his uh, broken back. A tree limb fell on him as he was out doing some volunteer work in uh, Kansas City. And so one more uh, week on the injured list for Jeff. Jason Churchill, kind enough to join us in his stead today from Prospect Insider. Jason, good morning. How are you? Hey, pretty good. This is really early for me, guys. But, uh, you know, good luck to Jeff Passon getting better because, wow, that's a scary situation. My back, however, gentlemen, feels pretty good this morning. Good. Well, we're impressed that you were able to wake up early. We think it's too early also, and yet somehow this is the <laughs> life that we've carved out for ourselves. Uh, I think you've got an interesting take in general on the trade deadline. So before we kind of dig into what the Mariners should do, give me kind of your general view on what the trade deadline is and what it's all about. Yeah, so I'm of uh, the belief that there are very few opportunities to acquire impact players. The trade deadline is one of them. The offseason is obviously the other. And I just feel like if you're one of those clubs that's short, that's not where they want to be, that's not where they need to be, you can't pass on the trade deadline. And it's really that simple. If the Mariners were 10 games under 500 right now, 
and 12 games out of, out of first place or 15 games out of the division lead and 10 games out of the wild card with nine teams to pass, I would still be in camp by uh, when it comes to multi-year answers to solve some problems on this roster. Clearly, they're two, three, four players away. Why would you ever pass up an opportunity if that opportunity is there to acquire that player, even if the rest of this season isn't really what it's all about? Is this a Mariner-specific plan, uh, Jason, or is this um, because or, or bigger? Is this you know just generally your baseball plan for all the other teams? And I say that and I sputter a little bit because the Mariners are a DDT; they're draft, develop, and trade. They are not a big free agent spender. So is that emphasized even more because of the way the Mariners do business? I think it is. I think this is literally the time of year where Jerry DePoto and that front office's skills shine the best when it's time to make a trade. We saw it last summer. And I know, like, last summer when they made the deal for Luis Castillo, it was, wow, they gave up a lot. Sure, they did. But that's what it takes to get impact players and turn your team into something, you know, instead of, hey, we might be good in two, three years, too. Wow, look how much better we are today. And I just think, and I, we've heard Jerry talk about on your show uh, and elsewhere about, hey, we don't want to go out and spend on a bunch of rentals, but that actually might be the best plan this summer. I don't know if there are going to be these these multi-year all-star level players available at the deadline. You know, you don't see hitters of the caliber Seattle really needs long-term, at least one foundational piece added to this lineup, and maybe a couple of other average to above average bats added between now and the, the, the start of next season. You don't see those guys traded ever all that much. And if you look at it from a, a trade deadline in-season standpoint, it hardly ever happens. I went back five years just to get an idea, and there were two, maybe three, and one of them happened in May, and that was when Tampa traded really a dominant Brewers. So what do you do? I mean, what what is their top priority? Yeah, I think you have to go find bats. And even if it's two or three, like, average bats, I look at this lineup, guys, as a, as a lineup that's good enough to score – 4.7, 4. 4.8, 4.9 runs a night. And they're really not all that far off that pace now, but they do lack consistency. They'll score eight one night and then four the next two games. Because we've seen it all year. We even saw it some last year. But I also think this is one of those lineups that kind of just needs to be unlocked a little bit. I think the top five or six guys in the order have been asked to produce, you know, to the equivalent of eight or nine spots because they've had so many big holes. Pollock didn't hit. We saw Caves and when Jared Kelnick hit and and, and even Teoscar Hernandez started the year poorly, but Colton Wong hasn't done much. Caballero has cooled down. Uh, you, you know, there's just too many spots in the order where you're just not getting enough consistent production from. So if you were to add three bats to this line, and I think two everyday guys, even if they're just average, even if they're just guys that go out and they hit 250, they get on base at an average clip, you know, in a full season, they might hit 12 to 16 home runs. I think if you added three of those guys, Two of those guys that play every day, one of those guys that can come off the bench and give you some punch late in game. I know this is awkward talking about this after Colt Long <laughs> played hero last night off the bench, but that's clearly a guy they've been waiting for all year, and it really hasn't happened. I think three players like that, those two everyday guys that want bench guy, completely change this entire lineup, even though they'd mostly be batting 7-8-9. So you are the prospect insider. They make the big move last year. They move a bunch of their prospects in order to bring Luis Castillo back. You, that's maybe what you want to do. It's largely what I've argued for to some degree, Jason. But do you have the prospects in your system to get that done, what you're asking for? I think you do. And I look back to last offseason. It's, it's my opinion. I don't know what went on in that front office. I don't know what the plan was. I don't know what they're thinking. My best guess is they misjudged the trade market last winter. 
Like, I think everybody misjudged the free agent market, but I think they misjudged the Mariners misjudged the trade market, thinking something would be there at a certain price range, and the guys that they really wanted to spend X, Y, Z up were not available for the price they wanted to pay. I think it's time to just raise the price you're willing to pay. I keep comparing it to buying a car. You're going to go out and buy a car, it's $40,000, but you only want to spend thirty-four. dollars Well, you're not necessarily going to buy that car because you have other options. But what happens if you don't have any other options? Eventually, as long as you have it, you're going to pay that forty grand, And I think that's where Seattle is right now. I think you just have to pay the freight. And I think that's the reason why it hasn't happened yet. You know, between the end of last season and now, they just haven't been willing to pay the price. And it's time to do that. I even I think even this year's team is worth going out and paying the freight for that player if he's available. If that player is available this summer, that multi-year, the second baseman, the shortstop, the third baseman, the outfielder, whatever it is, the non-rental that can help you over multiple seasons, I think they just need to pay. And I do think they have the prospect capital to go do it. It's going to cost dearly. But I, I've been talking to folks for the last month. People keep telling me that that Harry Ford is about where Noel de Marte was a year ago. And Noel de Marte was, if there was a centerpiece in that deal for Luis Castillo, he was the centerpiece. So you're telling me Harry Ford can't be the centerpiece this year and then just back it up with guys like Michael Arroyo and, and Gabriel Gonzalez, maybe Emerson Hancock. This this farm system has plenty to give. They just have to be willing to give it. Is you know, there is there a player, though, Jason? Is there a player valuable enough to give that up? I mean, I'm not against the idea of giving up Harry Ford for a Luis Castillo mm-hmm. type of talent. Who is that? I, I don't see who that is. Yeah, that's the, that's the tough one, and that's why I'm all over the rental market right now, and I think Seattle should pay the freight for that, too. Um, it, it, I, I understand not wanting to go out and pay the trade price for two months of an all-star to, to superstar-level player. The, the Shohei Otanis, and even maybe a Cody Bellinger, who might be available out there, who's pretty much a rental with the opt-out he has, those guys might cost you more than you'd be willing to pay, more than you should pay for two months. But there's lots of other average to slightly above average hitters out there that can really help this lineup that are only going to cost you prospects that are ranking somewhere between, I don't know, 12 and 30. Give me names. System. Okay, then give me names. Who is that? Uh, Randall Griffey, uh, Mark Canna. You tell me adding those average type bats to your lineup doesn't make it significantly better considering the production you've been getting so far. All of a sudden, those spots in your lineup aren't holes anymore. You go out and you spend guys down your system like Michael Morales, for example. Send him to the Mets for Marquette. You tell me that's not worth it? I think it is as long as you're you're doing the – if you just do one of those, it's not going to make much of a difference. But if you do two or three of those and you go out and find a back-end rotation arm so you can take care of the number five spot in the rotation with the Brian Wu workload situation, all of a sudden this team to me looks at least as good as Toronto. Probably so, better. So, Jason, Jason Churchill, prospect insider, here with us. You're not trading from the major league, uh, your your major league roster. I really wouldn't, unless there's some sort of a sideways deal where your team can get better now and in the future by combining a Teoscar Hernandez or a Tom Murphy or even a Paul Seawall, but with a prospect or two to get one of those players that really might not be available. One of the guys, I mentioned Willie Adamas because he was an example of a, of a pretty good offensive player that was traded in the middle of the season. I don't know what the Brewers are going to do. They're in the race in the Central, but Willie Adamas is not re-signing with Milwaukee. So that's a name. He's not in a great year 
but that's a pretty good player that would give you another middle infielder. That's a guy I would consider trading in some sort of sideways deal. And you'd have to make a deal in the, in that direction if you're going to want to get a good player from a contending team. So for me, that's the only way I, only way I would tra- trade from the current 26-man roster, at least from the core. You know, that, that bullpen, the back end of the bullpen, Tanos, and the guys that hit in the middle of the over the top six or seven, Otherwise, I'm just adding to this team and not even considering selling off at all. It's funny. That was uh, Adamus is one of the names we talked about a little bit this offseason as being a possibility. Jerry's Jerry's um, past shows that he likes to find guys that are young major leaguers that haven't done a ton yet that he sees more ability in them. Mitch Hanniger, Ty France. Uh, it didn't work out for Abraham Toro, but that was the thought behind it. Are there guys like that potentially available? And maybe we just don't know who they are, but it seems like if I trust Jerry to do anything, it's to try a deal like that. Yeah, there really could be. I think the the question is, is that good enough for the 2023 team? I don't want to leave the 2023 team behind in this thought process. I don't want to think only about 24 and beyond. If you go get a guy who hasn't done much yet, how much does that help you now? Do you really think he's, you know, Let's let's acquire him because he's ready to explode on August first, kind of a deal. Like I don't really understand that sort of a process. So uh, I'm looking at let's go get guys that we feel really good, that have a track record, they feel really good about performing now, that are upgrades to what we have. But you're right, Mike. One guy that I keep thinking about is Vaughn Grissom in Atlanta. I'm not sure exactly how you acquire him, what Atlanta's plans are for him, but that would be a guy who's shown a little bit at the major league level, but he's been kind of up and down this season in AAA. And, uh, and in the big leagues with the Braves, that maybe you could see something in giving him more time, having a, having at-bats to give him where Atlanta really doesn't, where it could unlock his potential and you could get more out of him. But is that really the answer for this year? It might be part of the answer for next year, but that's a really difficult sell for me. I think that that players like that are the answer in the summer of 2020. So you really, you still are, are not done with this year, which is interesting. When I mean, we talked to Jerry last week, he says selling is still, you know, has always been a possibility. And Ridiculous. Ridiculous, Scott. That is ridiculous. Like, to, seriously, to me, and usually I'm the guy who's like, yeah, I get what Jerry's doing. I'm the guy who, like, people call me a Jerry defender, and, and, and I'm not, but I just really have understood, I think, what his vision is this whole time, like way back in 2016, all the way through tearing it down after 2018, the rebuild so far, but that I don't get. I'm not sure if it's true, to be honest with you, but I don't understand right now. If you're, you know, what are they, what are they, eight and a half out of the division, five and a half out in the wild card, and they're what, you know, it, six and a half out of the number two wild card? There's six and a half games with a week left before the deadline. Six and a half games from two playoff spots, and they're talking about selling. Get out of here. Get out of here. But they then then why have they been so massively underperforming offensively? As you sit and you watch so many of these games, and you work uh, alongside Goldie, and you look at all the numbers, why have we seen so much across the entirety of this offensive roster such underperformance? Yeah, I think part of this is it's baseball. You look around baseball, look at some of the free agents we were talking about over the winter. Trey Turner, not having a good year. Carlos Correa, not having a good year. Xander Bogarts, not having a good year. Those guys make over a billion dollars combined, all those shortstop free agents, and only one of them is really having a pretty good year, and that's Dan B. Swanson. Things like this do happen. Unfortunately, and I've talked about this for years, when you put together a roster and you expect it to score runs consistently, you expect it to win consistently, win 90, 95 games, maybe have a chance at 100 if things just go your way, but you don't have overflow of talent, 
things like this can happen, and then you're kind of stuck exactly where the Mariners are. Like, we didn't expect Julio – like, he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been good either, right? Nowhere near what he was a year ago. Even he swore, and he's been significantly better lately, but he hasn't performed the way that he did a year ago or anywhere close. And I was expecting a step back, just not this large. And then, guys, you go get – don't necessarily perform at the level that you expected. Teoscar Hernandez has been better lately, but he didn't start great and still hasn't exactly had the season that we hoped for. Cole Long hasn't really done anything since Thursday or uh, Monday night's game in, in Minneapolis. So it, things like that do happen, but when you don't have good contingency plans or the ability to go out and make deals like Jerry did in, in 2018 earlier in the year because the trade market hasn't developed, because there's more playoff teams right now trying to hang in that race, like it just was, it was a failure of the offseason that really set them up for this. And most of what could go wrong really has. I, I think that's the biggest part of it. But again, I'll go back to what we talked about at the top. I think this lineup is just a couple of quality hitters away from completely unlocking the whole thing. You could tell me they acquired a seven hole hitter and an eight hole hitter that were average major leaguers. And I would say they're catching the Toronto Blue Jays the rest of the way. Well, because the pitching has just been that good. So last thing for you here, Jason, and, and then Brock and I will probably debate this ourselves for a little while because uh, I, I think there's a lot in here. The other question is when you start looking at this team, because you've given a very positive take on where they're at in 23, which I think there's some merit to. The other side of it is what if Eugenio Suarez is no longer a core piece? What if Ty France has shown this year that he's not what he was supposed to be? You don't have a second baseman moving forward. All of a sudden, you could make an argument that you need four positions immediately for next year, not even just like long term, but that first, second, third, and right field are all long term major needs for this franchise. What do you do if that's the case? Yeah, I would, personally, I would leave out Ty France from that. At least at this point, I know he's had a, a down year. He's certainly regressed. It looks to me like he's trying to get to his pull side, and it's just completely screwed up his whole attack plan. But I'm with you. Like, what if this is just who Eugenio Suarez is? If they ask Hernandez is a free agent, what are you going to do there? By the way, I would just offer him the qualifying offer, and he accepts. You're probably okay in right field or DH next year. But you're right. There's at least two, three, maybe four spots where they're going to need players. Again, I'll go backwards. This is why you don't pass up the trade deadline to buy if you're the Seattle Mariners. You will not get these opportunities. Like, I don't know, just pick a player. Willie Adamas, Jonathan India, whoever you think is an option. Whoever you think solves one of your problems. Let's just pretend those guys are available. And you pass because, A, you just hate the price or you hate the price during a season in which that player is not going to, in your opinion anyway, isn't going to affect a pennant race. Now those players get traded elsewhere, or maybe they sign extensions with the teams they're with right now. Now you don't get that opportunity in the offseason. You're hoping other players become available to fill those holes. It's why you cannot pass up you know, potential opportunities this summer to acquire multi-year options for the future. You can't be a pure seller in this situation if you're Jerry Toto, not with this team and the young core that they believe they have. Lastly, for me, your favorite 2021 college football moment on the road. Goldie, Church, me, the rest of the crew. What was what was your favorite? I got one. I, I, I got one, Brock, when I almost ran over the the college student that was trying to make us take a ride out of the parking lot. I was like, nope, we're going left. Yep. yep. We're going left. Yep. 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 I think that was CU, possibly. Yeah, that was that was really good. Good, that strong a, move. That was an Ames. That was in Ames. Oh, that, that was, was that Iowa State. Yeah, that was in Iowa State. You had yeah. to go to I Ames. I told that story yeah. once or twice. 
Your best, your best moment of an entire season came in Ames, Bro, it Iowa. was a rush the field, Dude. overtime win over Oklahoma State. Dude, I Brock don't want to hear it. It was before Ames? Brock Purdy was Brock Purdy. Ames, Iowa was it your was... best moment of an entire college football season? <laughs> it was Jason, you're not doing this right. I got to tell you. I mean, I, I love you, buddy, but you're not doing it right if your best moment came in Ames, Iowa. That's a mistake. Thank you, Church. Appreciate you, man. Good stuff, hey, buddy. Guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we always hear, right, between the hedges and all the great stuff in the SEC, all the fun college football environments out there, and his greatest moment came not even on the field, off the field in Ames, Iowa. Were you near there, Maura, on your big vacation to Iowa? Yeah, I think it was near um, near the Field of Dreams. I'm going to guess, like, between you and Ames was corn. Like, it's just a lot of fields <laughs> between where you were and where Ames was. Yeah, so. that's, a, uh, that's a pretty safe bet. I'm trying to remember the name of the town. Dyersville is the small town where the Field of Dreams is. Legendary, we went, yes. We went to lunch there um, at uh, this pizza place where you could also buy, like, tubs of chicken and fried fish. I saw someone come in with, like, an actual, with, like, a huge... Um, crock pot warmer type thing you could plug in and leave with a bunch of stuff in it like it was yeah it was very small small town wow um ames ames and dyersville 166 miles apart so how many cornfields is that (laughs) i didn't know they used mileage there i thought they just measured in cornfields in order to see how far apart things were from each other that is no joke when i i mean when we did our cross-country crazy go through nebraska and kansas and missouri it's like wow yeah you realize just how much farmland there really is. Like the mo- if you're driving west, the moment you get out of Denver until mm-hmm. Chicago is yeah. essentially one giant field. Yeah, it's really it's unbelievable. You leave Denver and Colorado, eastern Colorado looks exactly the same as Iowa or Kansas or uh-huh. Nebraska. Yeah. It's amazing. It's like eastern well, Montana is North Dakota. It's Some crazy. It's pretty. Like there was parts of Idaho that I drove through a farmland that were really pretty. Like Kansas is horrible to drive through. Oh boy. Yeah, and it takes forever. The only good thing is you could drive like 112 miles an hour the entire way through. All right. Uh, Seahawks start training camp today. Obviously, uh, we'll talk quite a bit about that over the course of the next few hours. Uh, Kind of an early ending for us because the Mariners are on uh, early today, 10-10 start, 9 o'clock pregame show, so we are done at 8.55. We've got a most intriguing Seahawk for you. We've got DK Metcalf who's going to join us at uh, 8.30 this this morning, and uh, I think we're going to probably end up talking about the Seahawks team quite a bit. So I'll spend just a few more minutes here on the trade deadline, and then we'll kind of switch gears as Brock gets in and uh, and talk through where the where the Seahawks are at. But you know, look, every day it feels like you get a different vibe from this Mariner team. We got a text earlier today, though, that I think puts it pretty well into context. I mean, Brock will keep saying, "Hey, you're a 500 team." Okay. Churchill will say you're a 500 team and with a limited amount of buying without giving up much in terms of top prospects, you could be significantly better than that. I thought he made some pretty good points, right? You just heard him. He's not talking about giving up Harry Ford and giving up, you know, the best prospects that you have. He's talking about marginally buying around the edges to just bring in some competent major league hitting to replace guys that are not in that category so far this year. Okay. His feeling is if you bring in a Marcana or whomever to play the outfield and hit lower in the lineup, it will help to unlock the guys at the top of the lineup who have not delivered. By the way, one of those guys dropped down to fifth yesterday. That's Julio Rodriguez, and it seemed to work out okay. Is it a coincidence? Who the heck knows? But he dropped him down, and once again, message received. Julio came out and had you know two home runs and had a really good day at the plate yesterday. Um 
I don't know whether Jason's theory works. I don't know whether if you get better at the bottom, all of the sudden the guys at the top remember who they are and start hitting again. But I guess it's a reasonable theory that doesn't have a tremendous amount of risk. Like, what's the risk? That you don't trade Paul Seawald? Okay. Like, I think I can live with that risk because I, you know, you see yesterday what a reliever gets dealt for. I don't, I don't know that it's enough for me to say I have to trade Paul Seawald or else. That's the one that I've been sort of like pretty iffy on because I think the Mariners are still going to be good next year. Like, I think next year is still part of your window. And I think one of the things that I trust so much about this team and has made the last few years better is having a guy like Seawald in the late innings. I don't think you can have enough of those guys. They've done a good job of developing them and he's older and it's not like you're going to sign him to a long-term deal or anything like that. But if you don't trade Paul Seawald, I'm not going to be upset or feel like it was a wasted opportunity to get back like a, a nucleus piece or something like that. I just don't think he's going to be worth that. So I, 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 I like Jason's argument. I don't know whether that plan works. Because in my at the, at the heart of my being, I believe the problem with this team has been that the best players have not played that well, mm-hmm. and I, I don't I don't know whether helping the ancillary pieces changes that. But if it's just enough to like help, I mean, look, we got a texter earlier who who pointed out you're a blown save and one clutch hit away from having won the last six games. That's true thing is you could say that about the Mariners like 20 times over the course of well, this year. Churchill saying you, you kind of just put a Band-Aid on that or get some insurance for that for this year? Because he said probably rentals. Like, Yeah, and, and again, I, I'm still struggling with the idea of a straight two-month rental unless it's so cheap that it's like, well, there's no reason not to. Uh, that's what Carlos Santana would be if you decide to go in that direction, and and maybe there's something to that. Uh, some of the guys that you're talking about with the, I mean, essentially the entire Cardinal team, infield, outfield. You heard uh, you heard uh, Churchill mention Randall Grichik, who has been uh, was a Cardinal, is now a Rocky, and is having a pretty good year. I think he's got an OPS over 800 this year, so he's having a pretty good season. So look, there there's options out there of guys that can help you. The question is, in the next week, not even, can you put together a few more of these good efforts to convince the team that it's worth doing? They're probably not going to give up the farm for this team, and I wouldn't. I would not give up the farm to really help this team. They haven't deserved it. 100%. Unless you have the ability to change and alter your future. If you've got a chance to get a Juan Soto or you have a chance to get a Tatis or somebody that is going to be here and change your fortune long term. Okay. I'm I'm all in for those conversations. I'm all in on guys that are going to be here for a couple of years. I'm all in on trying to make the team marginally better. But I don't know whether I could just start selling the farm to try to help this team this year. Seahawks report today. Brock's in next. We got a lot to talk about. It's Brock and Salk. Sales Sports on 710, salesports.com.